church. Children are dismissed to children's church. And we find ourselves this morning in the final week of the Creed series with the statement, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. And for the final time, I'd like us to read the statements of the Apostles' Creed together. Now, I'm going to make you stand up here in just a minute, but not yet. So I'll let you sit for this because I'm going to make you stand in a few minutes. But as you're seated, let's just read these statements together for one final time as we claim these as what we believe. So let's, let's read. I'll start us off and you can pick up the, the pace. I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Or amen for some of you people out there. Amen. And let us not forget that amen as we're going to talk about it a little bit later, give away part of my sermon. But the amen is powerful. It's powerful to remember because as we say that amen, we, we're basically saying, so let it be, or so be it, or this I say in truth, this I believe will happen. So as we say amen, we're claiming that all of what we just said is true. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And remember, that's hard for you to say maybe because of backgrounds, but as we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, remember that it's just talking about the universal church, all of us together as Christians. We believe in the church being a body of Christ. The forgiveness of sins, again, we can add I believe in front of each of these. We believe, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And then where we're going to be at today, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, if I counted correctly, I believe we were in week 14 of the Creed series. Now, I will admit, when I first started, I think I planned on this being about a 10-week series. So, we've had a few breaks here and there, but I think it's been good. And I'm not talking about being arrogant or I think my sermons have been good, but I have just loved this series as I've been discovering deeper thoughts, deeper knowledge of what we believe. And I hope you've been encouraged or challenged to do that as well. But if you have not yet, then I challenge you now to don't let this be the end. Don't let today be the end. You see, we should be encouraged for our entire lives. We should be challenged to always be digging deeper into our beliefs. And what do we believe? Why do we believe it? Don't believe something just because your parents say it to be true. But look to God's word and discover for yourself why it's true. Make sure you find the truth from God's word, though. And through the interpretation that the Spirit helps you with, don't you find what you believe from Google or Siri, depending on your loyalty. But look to God's Word and allow that to be where all truth comes from. 
We use the Apostles' Creed, as we've said many times now, to allow us to jump into Scripture and see why do we believe these things or, to, or what, it, what does this mean? So this morning, I want to start with reading from Revelation chapter 21. And you've been told to open to that in your Bibles, but if not, I do have it on the screen. Or maybe you just want to read from the screen, follow along there, and you can look to your Bibles once we're seated. So yes, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're able, let's stand now as we read God's word. Let's respect this great blessing that we have. And I'll read. You can just follow along, or we might be here for quite a while standing. But let's, let's follow along. Then it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. Thank you. You may be seated. As I was wrapping up my sermon notes yesterday, and as I was reading this to myself, I must admit... I started reading quite loudly out loud in my living room. And my daughters and my son looked to me like, what is dad doing over there? But these words have such power for our lives. And I always, I always pray before I preach, and maybe you guys have caught on to this. I always pray, may God be glorified. May the saints be edified. And may the lost be found. And these words are all three. They help to glorify God. They help us to see how God is glorified, how he will be glorified. But they also help to edify us. Now, we can be edified in many ways. An edified, fancy word, I'm going to say, just a, a layman's term, grow. We can grow in many ways from God's word. We can be edified. We can be lifted up. We can be encouraged. We can be challenged. We can be convicted in many different ways. We can be encouraged in song and in worship. We can be edified as we worship together, as we hang out together with our one and others. But we do it in God's word right now, and the lost can be found through this as well. Now, I'm already getting on rabbit trails. I'm excited to worship with you this morning. And I've titled this sermon, Until We Are Home, Living in the Light of Life Everlasting. Until we are home, living in the light of life everlasting. You see, I just returned from a three-day conference in Minneapolis, St. Paul, with Bethlehem College and Seminary, John Piper's college over there. And what a great time I had. There's so much that I wish I could share with you. But the entire theme of the week's conference with all these pastors, all these speakers, all these workshops or seminars was gospel hope, ministering in the light of the second coming. So the entire week was mostly talking about the second coming of Christ and what do we have to look forward to. So part of this sermon, part of this message, I'll be kind of bringing to you some things I learned or some things I was reminded of. But at the same time, I just see it 
glorious, how God works all things together for his good. And this sermon was planned for weeks to come. This sermon was planned for 14 weeks. I knew I was coming here, and it just so happened on the very week of this conference. Again, I wish I could share everything from this conference with you, but I can't. But I will say that if anyone's interested, you can actually watch some of these pastors, some of these speakers and their sermons or messages at home on your computer for free. Just let me know. I can send you the link. And pastors um, like Crawford Loretz, Paul David Tripp, J.D. Greer, John Piper, Juan Sanchez, those are just a few of the names. You can listen to them as well. But let me tell you this. I found myself in awe as I was worshiping there as I was learning from these men who have served God with their lives, I found myself in awe as I worshipped alongside, which was probably a thousand other pastors. And I don't think that's exaggerating. I think Pastor Tanner, he was there with me, looked it up, and the convention center there could hold something like three to 4,000 people in that room. So I think saying a thousand people is being pretty, pretty um, generous. It's probably a much, much more. But we're worshiping together with a thousand other pastors or more. And I was able to see just this great voice as one lifting up to God. And don't get me wrong, I love hearing you guys worship God. But we're 200 people on a good day, and we had a thousand or more pastors. I had John Piper, two heads in front of me, four feet in front of me. And I am the first one to tell people, don't worship these guys. Definitely don't worship me, but don't worship these, these people on the radio either or on TV either because they're just regular sinful people like you, like me. But as I found myself two heads away from John Piper, I think he's in his mid-70s, and this man that has devoted so much of his life to worshiping God, to studying his word, and to leading so many people into lasting relationships with him, I found myself in awe. I found myself watching what he was doing. I found myself watching him as the pastor would be preaching. He's sitting front row, two heads in front of me, and he's laughing with the pastor. Yes, John Piper laughs during the sermon. I found myself watching John Piper as he lifted his hands, worshiping God. Yes, John Piper lifts his hands and worships God with his full body. I found myself admiring this man, and I was convicted of that because... And it, this was a hard sermon to write because I just wanted to share with you everything from the conference. So let's watch that clock pretty well. But I found myself admiring this man. And I was convicted later because I'm this guy that always says, don't worship these men. They're just men. And that is true. We worship God and God alone. But what I did hear and what I saw was one of the pastors was sharing with us about shepherding God's flock in light of the second coming in light of the future hope that we have. And he said this, he said, can your church people follow you? Can your church people look to you? Can you tell your people to be like me, to imitate me? And I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever told you guys to be like me. I mean, to me, that just sounds arrogant. To me, I see myself as this sinful individual who's not perfect and makes mistakes. But he says, Paul, in Scripture, and I've got those verses for you later, says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look to me as you see what you should be doing. And then I thought to myself about John Piper and these other men. Many people around the world have looked up to these guys. 
I think it's healthy for them to look up to these guys and think, wow, John Piper's right there. Let me shake your hand. Thank you for leading me in God's word. Thank you for showing what it means to, be, to me to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. But we must make sure we, that we separate that from worshiping them. They don't become an idol. They become a mentor, a role model, somebody to look towards. But only as we look to them to see Jesus. Now, I already spent way too much time on this. But it was a truly awesome experience. It was awe-inspiring. But not just the ordinary man. It was awe-inspiring because we were acknowledging the hope to come in the second coming of Christ. We were acknowledging and we were in awe of thinking about the resurrected bodies and the life everlasting. So that's what we're looking today. Until we are home, until we're in heaven, until we're with Christ in his physical presence for all of eternity, we live in the light of the life everlasting that we know we have. I have this down for you for your notes. Too many of us are living for today and forgetting of the tomorrows yet to come, but it is because of the tomorrows to come that we have the hope for today. We should be living in awe of God, exalting the triune God for all we have to look forward to. Romans 8 tells us that all of creation groans for this. All of creation groans and yearns for the coming of Christ to bring the new creation into existence, to bring the new earth and the new heavens, and to make all things new. These pastors did a great job of expounding upon this thought and talking about how the stars cry out to God. The cosmos cries out to God and groans to God in great anticipation of what they know is to come. But too often we don't do that, do we? There used to be a sense of urgency, and I'm the pastor here for the last two years. Eldon was for 42 years before that, and I can say we don't preach about revelation or end times every single week, but we definitely should be looking to end times more because it's because of this future hope that we know we have that we can find the hope that we need for today and so much more. We should not be forgetting what is to come, not fearing tomorrow, or today, because we remember the inheritance that we have to come. These things give us hope for the future. And point one, very cut and dry, very simple, I shouldn't say dry, is we're going to be talking first about the resurrection of the body. We find this hope in the final statement of the Apostles' Creed, and it's backed up by Scripture. Now, to some of you, this is a great hope that you have of a new body. I've heard one of you in the congregation say once, in passing, that you think the reason that your body starts to fail in, in I don't want to say old age, in your golden years. Hey, I shouldn't say old age. I told Pastor Tanner as I walked in the church this morning, I felt like I strained something in my hip. I, I could barely walk for a minute. I had to kind of stretch, and then I was fine. But I'm only 35 next month. <laughs> Our bodies start to fail. And it, it, it gives us this great hope to look forward that to the fact that we will have new bodies someday. Some of you live with this great hope. Some of you look forward to this. If we were to admit it, I think most of us would admit that we have a love-hate relationship with our bodies today. With the consequences of sin, the pains, the illnesses, the diseases, the aches. 
maybe the sizes. I think that if, if you had the opportunity to snap your fingers and change anything about you, I think a lot of us would take that opportunity. And not just about looks, but maybe how your body operates. Maybe you'd say, I don't like that when I wake up in the morning, I try and tie my shoes, try and lift up my leg. I get this pain in my hip or my thigh. Yeah, that's me. I'm getting there. I need to stretch more. It's apparent. Maybe you think, oh, I don't like how mid-afternoon I'm limping because my body's just sore. I mean, maybe you'd be changing that about you. Maybe it wouldn't be your physical appearance. It would be how your body operates. Maybe you'd be the one to just say, Lord, thank you for this gift you've given me to change myself with the snap of a finger. How about we just start over? <laughs> Let's just start completely fresh. I heard one pastor talk about this, and he says, would we even be able to recognize our own person? Would our mom or dad or sons or daughters be able to recognize who we are? Because maybe we would change so much about ourselves. But then we recognize from Scripture that God has created you exactly who you are, and you are how you're supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have sinful consequences of a fallen world, such as the aches and the pains. It doesn't mean we shouldn't adjust our diets some. Probably most of us in here could. But we see a great deal of information in Scripture about our resurrected bodies and what they will be like. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is a, a lot of information about this. I'm going to ask you to study this greatly at home. But I am going to read just four verses from 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55. And listen, you can follow along in your Bibles if you like. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55 says this. Behold, behold, exclamation mark, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed in a moment, in the twinkling of, the, of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, note, I think there are three things that we can see about our coming resurrection here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55. I should have told you to keep your hand in that Revelation 21 because we will come back to that. But the first thing we see here in this, this scripture of 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55 is it will happen instantly. I believe from this scripture it will happen instantly. The text says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, one moment the dead will be in the ground and the next moment they will be raised to life. This is no gradual resurrection. If such a thing could be contemplated... This great miracle will happen so fast that if you blink, you might miss it. Number two, as I try and stick more to my notes and watch that clock for all of you. Number two, it will happen when Jesus returns. It will happen when Jesus returns. The last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. The dead in Christ will rise, and living believers will be raptured off the earth. 
to meet the Lord in the air. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 reference. Now, I will admit that's a debatable topic there, and you can study it more. We don't have time to study and debate every fact of end times and revelation today, but you should study God's word. Study the end times. Look to what you have to look forward to in the future. Number three, it will result in our complete transformation. A complete transformation. In that moment, that twinkling of an eye, our essential being will change from what it says, from a mortal to an immortal or a perishable to an imperishable. I believe our individual personalities will remain intact but all that relates to mortality, as one pastor said, the death and decay will be removed from us once and for all. These new bodies, I believe, will be physical bodies. As Philippians 3, 20-21 teaches us that Christ's resurrection body is a pattern for our resurrection bodies. And we read, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. We know that Christ was risen in physical body form because the disciples ate with him after the resurrection and they touched him. Jesus outright declared his resurrection body was physical. In Luke 24 to 39, Luke 24 to 39, it says, See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Since Christ's resurrection is the pattern for our resurrection, we will therefore be raised in physical body as well. The death of the old body, the resurrection of a new body is necessary to be able to wipe away all the, the sins, all the reverse, all the effects of sin on the fallen creation. Our mortal bodies, our mortal vessels will be made imperishable and will be made new and will be made glorious. In Revelation 21, which we read earlier, and we're going to transition to, we see more about these new resurrected bodies. Or you see more about the everlasting life as we transition to that as well. You see, our new resurrected bodies are mostly what it will not be, including, is no tears no sadness, no death, no mourning or pain. Think about it. No more medicine needed. I was out to eat, out for dinner last night with a family in this church, and I was at dinner, and I see the lady, the mom that we're with, get a big bottle of Tylenol out of her purse. And you're in here. I won't point you out. In fact, I said, can I have some? <laughs> you won't need to carry any medicine around with you anymore. Because we have these new bodies. We have all we need. In fact, you won't even need to carry that purse anymore because you have all you need. Now, some of you ladies may be saying, but I like my purse. You won't be caring about that purse anymore. There will be no pain, no mourning, no sadness, no death. We will have everlasting life and we'll be in physically resurrected bodies. You won't need Tums anymore. You won't need Prilosec anymore. You won't need any of these earthly things that we have created to take care of these bodies that are failing due to the fallen world we live in and sin and the consequences thereof. We will work in heaven, but we'll enjoy that work as it was initially created. We'll be learning in heaven. 
We'll be worshiping and singing in heaven. We'll be feasting and communing together in fellowship in heaven. But all of these things will be in a perfect sense that we just can't even comprehend. There's a verse in the Psalms, a scripture in Psalms, and it's, it's probably in more places than that. I can't remember the exact scripture reference. But it says that we will have a joy that goes beyond anything we can understand. You see, you have a joy that goes beyond anything you can understand to come in the next life. I've seen people, I've heard people, and I've had the thought, you've had the thought at some time in your past probably, well, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. I mean, TV and books, they display it as you're just going to be sitting on a stone playing a harp for all of eternity. And that maybe that just sounds boring to you. Well, first of all, let me tell you, we're not going to be angels. Angels are a separate being. We're not just going to be playing harps all the time. We're not just going to be singing all the time. However, a large part of everlasting life with God will be worshiping Him. By saying we'll be in worshiping Him in many different ways, in many different forms, in this physical, resurrected, glorious, new form. Heaven will be a place of joy like we do not know. I shared with you a few weeks ago at communion a reading about how we will be communing together at a feast, at a feast and at a banquet in the end time. Heaven will be a place of learning, resting, serving, eating, singing, and fellowship. These are just seven things which we can find in Scripture to support what heaven will be like. But ultimately, I can't tell you what heaven will be like because we can't imagine it. But I do encourage you to look to God's word and see what life everlasting will be like from his word, from his truth. Because it helps you to look forward to heaven, to look forward to this new life in a new way, a different way. It is vital for us to remember that we will not just have new resurrected bodies, but that we will have hope in the new heaven and a new earth, being in God's presence for all of eternity. Not boring. Not bad. We'll have a new earth, is what Revelation tells us. A new earth and a new heaven coming down. Can you imagine the beauty? I've been on backpacking trips through the mountains. I've been on hiking trips on the Ice Age Trail. I've been around the country. I've been around the world. And I've admired the beauty of his creation. But the beauty of his creation that we see today is flawed because of sin. But can you imagine the beauty that will be in front of you in this day? The new heaven, the new creation, the new earth coming together with no consequences of sin seen. Our souls and body will be what and where it was meant to be. No problems and with God forever. Verse 4 says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. That is life everlasting. No more funerals. Death is done. Early in 1 Corinthians 15, we saw a kind of mockery of death where it said, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We fear death. Today, many of us fear death. We're afraid of dying, and in fact, I think we could say that a large part of that is because we fear the unknown. We don't know what it will be like. But then if we're honest with ourselves, we can see the truth of God's word and we can see the hope of what it will be like. We may not know all things, but we do know what we need to know to give us hope. 
We can understand it better if we continue to look to God's word, though. Now, there is one reason to fear the future coming, though. People fear everlasting life because they fear the choices that they're making today. They fear, and it's a legitimate fear, to fear the judgment of God on them because of sin. And to fear the punishment of what they may endure. But we do have the answer to that as well. You can repent, and you can have this everlasting life, and Christ pays that punishment for you. If you know that for yourself... Remember those three things I pray for before I preach, that God will be glorified, that the saints will be edified, and that lost will be found? Tell that to somebody who's lost. Repentance. I was reminded recently that that's one of those churchy words that maybe is hard to understand. So repentance may seem like a big, hard word, but it's simply this. Simply put, it means to acknowledge the sin or wrongful ways in which you're living and to turn away Turn away and live in a new way. Live in the new life that Christ can give to you. Follow after him. Repent. Turn away from this other way of living and live in the new life that Christ brings to you in his ways. Next in verse 4, we read, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, Many of you, some of you, might be mourning or crying already, thinking, where's my football going to be? Where's my hunting going to be? Where's, ah, I, I just, I don't know if I want a heaven if it won't have these joys of, of what I love today. Well, first of all, I remind you that that verse in Psalms basically tells us there will be a joy like we do not know today. So you don't need to worry about losing anything on this earth because God will make everything just surpassable better. I mean, better than anything you can imagine. But there is mourning. There is sadness. There is depression. There is frustration. There is anger. There's all these things today. Let me ask you a question. And it's okay to raise your hand in church. Again, John Piper does. <laughs> I do. Who here has ever been sad? Come on. Everybody can raise their hand. Who here has ever been mad? Who here has ever cried? I had tears coming down my face as I, was, as I was singing this morning. We can have tears of joy, but we can also have tears of sadness, and grieving is a natural process in this state, and it's a good thing to help us to process our grievances, our struggles, our pains. It's okay to mourn, but in this future day, we will not mourn. We will not cry. Your everlasting life will not be filled with the depression and the pains that you feel today. In this future day, there will be no more tears, no crying, no pain, no death, no mourning. For the grief and the problems of the fallen world will be no more. And that's what we also see in this Revelation 21 verse. The former things have passed away. Do you still struggle to picture what everlasting life will be like? In the presence of God, picture this. Picture your life. Picture all the biggest struggles, all the pains, all the sorrows that you have had to work through. Picture all the sorrows that you're working through right now. Imagine them gone. I pause not because I forgot what I'm going to say next. I pause because I think that's a powerful statement to imagine your life without these pains, without these sorrows, without these tears. 
No more illnesses, no more disease, no more cancer, no more anxieties, no more fears, no more weaknesses. No more having to fight for your life, per se. You won't have to fight anymore. You have a final victory and a hope realized in the third part of this sermon is amen. Amen. Nice and big. Amen. I feel tears wallowing up in my eyes now because amen, it is finished. That's what that Revelation 21 tells us at the end of verse 6. It is finished. Amen. With these things, we can claim it to be true. We can claim it to know that these are things we believe in, just like the Apostles' Creed states. We can claim with amen, so let it be. I agree. Yes. I look forward to this day. Yes. This day of a new resurrected body, sins forgiven, that was last week, and life everlasting in the presence of God. We say amen because the creed is true. Every part of it is true. All of scripture is true. And what we claim to believe is true. And as we start to close, I have some application for you today. Starting with this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to 8, we read this. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is just a small section of the scripture. I encourage you to go back to 2 Corinthians, read chapter 5. What an amazing part of scripture, and I know I can say that about all of scripture as we should. But it's powerful. As one pastor at the conference was speaking on this, and he said... Imagine this. We walk by faith, not by sight now. But in the end times, in the second coming, we will no longer just walk by faith. We will walk by sight as we have the presence of God in front of us in the new heavens and the new earth and these new bodies. We can delight in these things. We walk by faith, not by sight, as we take God at his word. And we hope in these things that God has told us. We walk by faith, not by sight. That someday we will be walking by sight. And today we live in the light of the everlasting life. So application number one is simply this. Because we have this hope of life everlasting, we must be spiritually alert for our todays and tomorrows. We know what lies ahead. And we should be fighting. We should be training ourselves to be prepared. Some of us, of us, if we were honest, would admit that we depend too much on our own powers, our own wisdom. We, think, we seek things of only this world or only what we can do instead of seeking things in the power of God and seeking his will and thinking, seeking his plans. Some of us who claim to love Jesus and follow him, as one pastor put, I quote, are putting undue hope on things that can't deliver, and this has led us into anxieties, restlessness, and fears. You see, we rely not on the Lord, but we rely on ourselves. We must, as 3 John 1, 4 says, teach your, teach your children to walk in the truth and find joy in the truth. But we must also be living by example and teaching and training ourselves by these same truths as well. Everybody says that they want their children to have a better future than what they had. They want their children to have a better life than that, what they had. Now, most of this is normally talked about in a materialistic form. 
But if we want our kids to have something so bad, why don't we want it to have it for ourselves as well? Why aren't we training ourselves? Why aren't we being spiritually alert for what's to come? Number two, because we have this hope of life everlasting, we must be active in evangelizing and discipling others in our todays and tomorrows. Now, some of these were adapted from this conference that I'm trying to share with you some of the things that impacted me. But I think it's pretty common, pretty much common sense and truthful from all God's word, too. Knowing of this hope of life everlasting that we have and knowing the future, knowing what's to come, the judgment in, in the end, we must be active in evangelizing and discipling others in our todays and tomorrows. Be preparing others for the coming of Christ, to be blameless and pure in light of Christ's return. Look to Revelations. Look to 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Look to Peter. Look to, to Matthew 24. Look to some, some of these scriptures that tell us about the future so that we know what to anticipate. But don't put yourself in just that knowing of the, of the judgment of the bad things, of the tribulations. Put yourself as knowing that you're one of the ones which will inherit a future kingdom with God. To be preparing others for the coming of Christ, to be blameless and pure in the light of Christ's return. I told you earlier I wanted to share with you about Paul, that pastor that shared with us, can you tell people to imitate you, to be like you, to follow your example 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul told people, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. He said, To imitate me as I imitate Christ. Philippians 3, 17, Join one another in following my example, brothers, and carefully observe those who walk according to the pattern we set for you. We ultimately need to be telling people to imitate Christ, to be living like him, to be becoming more like him every single day. But our lives should be, in a form, in a way, lives that they can look to and see Christ. That as they look to you, they should be able to imitate you because you're imitating Christ too. Number three, and this is probably the hardest one, because we have this hope of life everlasting, we must find the power to forgive immediately in our todays and tomorrows. And I must admit, I kind of crossed out the immediately in my notes because I do understand that it takes time to forgive and to work through these things. But we must find a way to be able to work through these things and not continue to dwell on them. Because to dwell on them takes away from the glory of God. To dwell on them takes away from us focusing on what God has already done and what God will continue to do for you and what God will do for you in the next kingdom. Now, I know we talked about forgiveness a couple weeks ago, so you can look at that later. But lastly, I'm sorry, I've got two more. Number four, because we have this hope of life everlasting, we must find hope in the sufferings of your todays and tomorrows. Now, some of you know this a lot more than I. Some of you feel like your whole life has been characterized by suffering, by afflictions, by troubles, by trials. Some of them may be of your own doing, if you would admit, but some of them not. Some of them just a consequence of sin in the world and, and that on our bodies. Some of you, this suffering, this affliction is because of you being a Christian, because of you being a believer, and as you're persecuted by the world for these things. 
But I do want to read to you a few things. You see, as we suffer, we can suffer well. As we suffer, we can suffer with Christ. As we suffer, we can testify and proclaim the love and glory of Christ. And I've seen many of you in this building who have suffered beyond anything that I can imagine, who have had afflictions. I've seen you do just that. I've seen you give all the glory to God and testify and proclaim the future glory you have and proclaim the comfort and peace that you have beyond the suffering that you endure now because you know that you have Christ in your life. James 1 says to count it a joy when we meet trials for it produces steadfastness. James 5 says to be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. It continues and says you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Dare I say that suffering and afflictions is not always a sad thing. It's not always a bad thing. It can help us to relate with Christ better. It can help us to proclaim the love and the hope and the future that we have. Number five, finally, is this. Because we have this hope of life everlasting, we can and should exalt the name of Jesus. We exalt the triune God. We exalt God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 1 through 13, and one section says, Christ has ascended in triumph and lives forevermore. We can exalt Christ because he's not dead. We can exalt the triune God because we know what they did for us, what he did for us, was so that we can have this eternal, everlasting future with new resurrected bodies. Believers can and should have a different perspective on life because of the certainty as the creed expresses of the life everlasting. To exalt means to glorify or to elevate something. To exalt is to rejoice. To re exalt is to praise. To exalt is to worship. To rejoice in the Lord for all he's done, all he continues to do, and all he will do until we are home. In the light of the everlasting life, we exalt Jesus. We praise his name. We lift him up. And we live in awe of him. I go back to the beginning of this message when I shared with you that I was in awe at this pastor's conference as I worshiped with a thousand or more other pastors. But we're not in awe of these things. We're not in awe of the physical people around you. We're not in awe of our material possessions because there's always going to be something new that we want. We're in awe of God. We're in all of all these things we believe in the Apostles' Creed. We're in all of the new resurrected bodies and of life everlasting. Live in the fullness of the life you have been given. Live in fullness of the life that you will have. Live in fullness knowing that Jesus will come again and we will be resurrected and have new bodies and life everlasting. Let's pray and we'll close in song and we'll be able to exalt Jesus together in worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great day that we have to worship you and to focus just for a minute on the glimpses you give us of resurrected bodies, life everlasting. 
out of Revelation 21, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 7, and 1 Corinthians 15. Lord, there's so much scripture to tell us of what's to come. We don't need to fear death if we are believers in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We follow after you. We can know that Christ has already taken away the pains, the punishment of death. We know we can look to you for an everlasting hope for our todays and tomorrows. Thank you, Lord, for the everlasting life which you have provided for us. And let, let us exalt you now. Please accept this humble offering. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing to our King. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. love I know it's true it's my joy to honor you in all I do I honor you you are my king you love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I all I do in all I do I honor you as I dismiss let's just do this together let's give a big amen one two three amen thank you